Welcome to Between Two Barrels, a twice-weekly podcast recorded at Studio 66, presented by Tennessee Legend Distillery. Between Two Barrels is a show that highlights legends of all shapes and sizes from across the state of Tennessee. From the queen of country Dolly Parton to the elusive Tennessee Wildman. From our head distiller to our legendary staff and products. On this show, you will learn some terms of the alcohol industry, as well as learn some awesome recipes for food and cocktails alike. Join us as we journey through the volunteer state to bring you stories of legends that involve the beautiful state of Tennessee, from country music as well as rock and roll royalty, cryptids, distillery origins, carbonated beverage beginnings, and everything in between. This show truly highlights what makes a legend a Tennessee legend. Welcome back, Legends, to another episode of Between Two Barrels Podcast. I am your host, Opie, and joined, of course, by the co-host, B-Low himself. B, what's up? Not a whole lot, man. Um, been a an interesting week. Um, Already. Of course, we are getting back on the uh, first couple of episodes since getting... <laughs> all of our equipment back functional and mm-hmm. everything else. So, uh, really trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, in our first, uh, I guess, um, November episode, uh, and getting into things that we are thankful for, and that doesn't um, stop with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much about this episode uh, that we're actually going to be making it a two-parter. In that there's a lot of reasons to be thankful for this person and and their generosities, specifically for this area. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, last week we, we talked about the godfather of whiskey for Tennessee, and oh, now Jasper we're talking Newton. about the queen of the south. The, the queen of a lot of things, probably arguably the queen of country music. Mm-hmm. Patron mother of Sevier County, and that being a Miss yeah. Dolly Parton. Yeah. Um, someone who, in an, a very expansive career, which is now getting to the point of spanning 60-plus years. I mean, yeah, you can start at the beginning. What all do you just pull out? There's so many highlights, and it's a career that is still strong to this day. I mean, she just released... A, a rock, rock album. album. Yeah. Something I never thought that I would say. Dolly Parton and rock album. And then not to mention the amount of philanthropy work on mm. top of product lines, on top of her film career, mm-hmm. on top of her music career. There's a freaking theme park that is one of the primary sources for employment for people in this area. 20 minutes down the road from where we sit right now. Yes. At Studio 66, you can go to Dollywood. Ride rides and eat food and see attractions and learn more about Dolly. All based off of, sometimes even rather loosely, based off of her life and experiences. Yes. Growing up. Yes. 
here in the Great Smoky Mountains. Yes, uh, there is definitely some loose basis stories out there, uh, but there, but here we are definitely going to talk the facts about her life, her story, growing up in Sevier County, her actual family, and the reason this has to be a two-parter, a Tuesday and Thursday episode, is because the illustrious life she's lived. Of course, as you've heard, we're talking about Dolly Parton, the queen of the South, the queen of country music, uh, probably one of the greater philanthropists to come out of the state of Tennessee. By far. To be I honest. mean, I know that, that while, you know, people like Peyton Manning did yeah. not originate from the state of Tennessee, but the state of Tennessee does mean a lot to them mm. with her being from here and specifically from Sevier County. Yes. She has done so much for the people just of this town, but so much for people across this state, across the country, and has done stuff for people across the world. And so. the thing that makes her so great in my mind is that there is a vast majority of her actions that go untold and unknown. Like, she's not like, okay, I'm about to do this thing, bring the cameras. Like so many celebrities no, are. You wind up hearing about it as an afterthought. Yeah. Or, like, after the fact that something is done, that's whenever there's a news coverage yeah. story of it or something like that. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the things that makes her such a legend for this community and this, this state, this planet, is she doesn't need you to know what she's doing. She shows what she's doing. And like you said, mm-hmm. it's an after story. Like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, did you know that during the pandemic when all this other stuff was being announced and, like, the media was talking about this, Dolly just quietly did this awesome thing yeah. and didn't advertise it. She just did it. Mm-hmm. It's very rare these days that you find celebrities that... You know, they can be great people, but who don't use it as a narrative. In in a time to where social media is prevalent and people are doing acts of kindness just for clout, mm-hmm. they are going out and filming all these things. Not saying that everybody that does that is, is full-on guilty yeah. of doing it for that reason, However, there is, like in any situation, there is a number of people that that are spoilers mm-hmm. for the lot. Um, people that are using it just for clout purposes and yes. just to gain notoriety above actually doing it for the cause of doing it. Mm-hmm. Like I say, in the in situation with Dolly, it's always been you never hear about, oh, she's planning on doing this. Let's get the cameras in here. Let's watch her go in and sign the documentation or or talk with the lawyers about, you know, doing this stuff or whatever. It's like, oh, like you said. It's after the fact. While you were watching Tiger King. Yeah. You know, Queen Dolly was actually out doing Doing philanthropic work and being awesome and just fulfilling her her duty. And that's the thing that I, I think that she's great at as... She is very like, look, I have this gift and I have these riches and these abilities and this life that it's afforded me. I don't need much to be happy. Her happiness is giving her things. Yes. Like, this is what I'm meant to do with this life that it's been given to me is give it back. And Not keep it because, I mean, you can't take it with you. 
you right. know so and just because of and we're going to talk about this her very very humble beginnings yes led to the fact that and and part of how the family upbringing was was something that just led her more continued down the road of like I'll take what I need but yes. everything else is to give to, to someone give else to someone else who needs it more yeah um so as you said let's start in the beginnings before we do that do we need to get into any kind of let's see what have we we've recently have we ran out of pumpkin we are almost out of pumpkin spice blueberries and cream is gone gone uh root beer float is gone, gone. at this point point um we will be getting the peppermint mocha in sometime this week mm-hmm. for the quarterly run for peppermint mocha mm-hmm. um we're going to be doing one maybe two batches of it once it sells out over the holiday season that's it and then the next thing will be cycling back around to blueberries and cream for the spring yes. seasonal um of course the crow black coffee vodka has released our partner project with anthium spirits mm-hmm. um that one has been selling great that's available across all four of our locations uh with the holidays coming up we will have some augmented store hours for the different locations make sure you check out the different social pages for all of that information i know that we are going to be operating here in severe county our newport highway location will be closed on thanksgiving day and we will be operating on limited hours likely closing around 6 p.m here at the highway 66 location and our cookville and nashville locations will likely be closed on thanksgiving day Mm. Now, getting into the Christmas holiday, Nashville location will likely be closed both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So make sure if you are planning on getting out and getting any gifts for someone around the Nashville area that you do that on the 23rd or even before um, because they will likely be closed on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Cookville location will likely just be closed on Christmas Day with limited operating hours on Christmas Eve. The same thing can be said for both Sevier County locations. We will be operating on a limited schedule. And just make sure to keep up on the social media pages for any of those hourly changes, including going back to our winter hours, which will see us closing across most all locations an hour earlier than what we had been. And then once we do hit past New Year's Eve, we'll probably be closing up even earlier than that. But again, you can always keep up with any sort of changes to schedules, products, any information that you need can come through all of the Tennessee Legend Distillery social media pages. So make sure that you go on there, follow us, follow all the social media pages, and don't forget to follow the Studio 66 page which, of course, is bringing you all the news and information about the Between Two Barrels podcast, the Cocky Top podcast, and soon to be joining us, and we're very excited about it, the 30 and Nerdy podcast. And also the the thing that that you should probably know is there are certain things sold at certain locations, and some things sold in Nashville that's not sold here. So to solve that issue, we do have an online shop. You can go to TennesseeLegend.com, click
click on the merchandise and that's going to take you to our online shop. We deliver it straight to you. Uh, or you can, of course, go to tldstudio66.com and all the links to tennesseelegend.com are there as well. So if you happen to be at your local store and you're looking for something TLD that you had in mind that that store might not have, go to the website. That's where you can find it. And we'll ship it straight to you. So definitely some great stuff for gifts, ju not just alcohol, uh, shirts, candles, hoodies, stuff like that. So uh, yeah, absolutely, got something for everybody. And right now we are running on the Tennessee Legend merch site for anything any order over fifty dollars you're getting forty percent off that That's is awesome. black friday all month long mm -hmm. and we will probably be doing a 25 days of christmas that will start on december 1st we will probably get out any sort of deadlines to make sure that you do get your items in time for the holidays so there will be a cutoff date to make sure that you get those orders in um for december to get them in for the holidays so but like you said, let's get back to Miss Dolly Parton. Born Dolly Rebecca Parton, January 19th, 1946. Jeez. So she is rapidly approaching her 76th birthday. Wow. Or even even higher. It's close. 86. No, we're not getting into the <laughs> 80s yet. No, she's still in her 70s, but like we were talking about in the intro, she has been going for a long time. Like, one of the first times that she actually was performing for people was as young as eight years old. Mm. So, and it was her uncle, of course. I mean, as been told in several stories and some things that you can see on Park and some information uh, that's been told through different outlets whether it be media books that have been written by herself or members of the family because not only is is Dolly a a performer of sorts there are several other members of the family uh, whether it be direct siblings nieces nephews cousins everybody so around this nieces you know, area. and nephews and cousins and godchildren of Dolly Parton very much so very much so and at this point like we said her actual performing career is now spanning over six decades and as part of that there's also an acting career yeah all the philanthropy uh so many different songs that has been recorded and and now having sold more than a hundred million records worldwide that's crazy a, a career that's just just so illustrious I mean like I said there's just so much stuff I mean how do we start but like we said uh, born January 19, 19th 1946 in a one room cabin on the banks of the Little Pigeon River, River in Pittman Center Tennessee she was born after, a year after World War II ended yeah good lord she Still is, going. She is the fourth of 12 children born to A.V. Lee Caroline, <clears throat> excuse me, and Robert Lee Parton Sr. Parton's middle name comes from her maternal great-great-grandmother, Rebecca Whitfield. Or Whitted, sorry. 
and her uh, partner's father, known as Lee, worked in the mountains of East Tennessee, first as a sharecropper and later tending his own small tobacco farm and acreage. Yep. He also worked construction jobs to supplement the farm's small income, and despite her father's illiteracy, Parton has often commented that he was one of the smartest people she had ever known in regards to business and making a profit. Hmm. I, I did not know her middle name. I did not know that her father grew tobacco. Yeah. Could you imagine Parton's tobacco? Like Parton's specific tobacco. specifically Instead of like Levi being, Garrett and Taylor's Pride, you got Parton's. Yeah. Put in a chew. Put in a Parton's <laughs> Put in a grab Parton's a, chew. Grab a Parton's pouch and throw in a chaw. <laughs> uh her mother, Avi Lee, cared for their large family. Her eleven pregnancies, the tenth being twins, in twenty years made her a mother of twelve by the age of thirty five. Parton does credit her musical abilities to her mother. Often in poor health, she still managed to keep house and entertain her children with Smoky Mountain folklore and ancient ballads. So I could only imagine that the the mountain folk song that that Dolly's mom would have been singing could have been very similar to The Hobbit's uh, Misty yes. Mountain. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and see, that's the thing that I, I think that I love. Um, about going back and watching like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that is those early scenes like with the Shire and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, those are our people around here. That's right. Appalachian. That's yeah. Like that's what Appalachian people were back in the day. And you know, because as we've said multiple times on this podcast, because when when these these mountain ranges were joined, it was Scottish mountain ranges. Same mountain ranges as Scotland. So mm-hmm. Appalachian basically is southern, like Americanized Celtic, I right. guess. So, so to further back up that point, having Welsh ancestors, A.V. Lee knew many old ballads that immigrants from the British Isles brought to southern Appalachia in the 18th and 19th century. Wow. Looking over on the paternal side... Avi Lee's father, Jake Owens, was a Pentecostal preacher, and Parton and her siblings all attended church regularly. Parton has long credited her father for her business savvy and her mother's family for her musical abilities. So she literally got the best of both worlds yes, from she did. her mom and dad to be able to turn her her name into name an Im- her name image and likeness into an empire. Yeah. When Parton was a young girl, her family moved from the Pittman Center area to a farm up on nearby Locust Ridge. Most mm. of her cherished memories of youth happened there. Today, a replica of the Locust Ridge cabin resides at Parton's namesake theme park, Dollywood. So any of you that have been on the park, you can go see a replica of the cabin. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the same building that whenever she does venture on to park and visits the park... Yes that she has her own little apartment up above that that she routinely stays in Mm -hmm. and that's where she is able to just kick back and relax basically her (laughs) her green room I wonder what it's like if she stays there like if she still stays there overnight in that apartment I would absolutely love to experience Dollywood after everyone's gone well 
I have had the fortunate opportunity because my mom and I myself oh, have yeah. worked for the park before. Um, and I had the opportunity to go in really early. I mean, I'm talking there's still fog coming up mm. off of the water rides and stuff like that. And there are, I mean, because it's smack dab in the middle of the Smoky Mountains, you will see possums, raccoons, stuff like that Just coming roaming. up out of these, you know, watery ride areas because it's basically like a river to them. I yeah. mean, and then they are in hiding for the most part or going outside of, of trafficked areas during that time as people start emerging onto the park they're just driven further and further back off into the recesses of outside the park you know borders as it were i'm sure there's a slew of creatures that are technically like feet away from you whilst you're at the park and other, you not know other other than the obvious you know squirrels up in the trees birds yeah. stuff like that oh, well, i know yeah. there's snakes yeah 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 oh, absolutely. that's a big reason they uh shut down the old flooded mine ride was because it's of snakes. The snakes yeah Ugh. getting into that that cool dry place mm-hmm. so yeah i mean the the opportunity is there and I would love to have that opportunity, and if she doesn't, she's missing out on a fantastic opportunity to, you know, to to experience that type of thing. Like some kind of VIP sale? Yeah. How many many people have always wanted to be inside of a Walmart after it shuts down? How many people have wanted to be inside of a, a theater after it shuts down? How many people have wanted to be at an amusement park after it shuts down? I know I have. It's it's almost I, like that. It's almost know, like it's haunting. Post like, post apocalyptic yeah. or or haunting. Yeah, nothing's going on. All that hustle and bustle is not happening. But I bet you still feel the residual energy. Oh, for sure. Like you can. It's almost like even if you were the only one in that park, you can probably still feel this, like, almost as if people are still running and walking and and doing work, and it's just like waiting for it all to die down. Like completely, completely. Like there's a certain period of time to where it just it's all of. Because if you gone. look, I think someone did a if they did it with Disney, not Dollywood, but like they had like a, a thermal overview of during the day at the park. Okay. And like they did it time lapse, like it's like hours after shutdown before all that heat and energy dissipates from the park. Of where how many people have been in this one conglomerate basically right all day all that heat's building up and it takes it like forever like said, to just lose all that energy to get away yeah. it's crazy i would love to, to she is miss if she were to do like a an overnight vip package like you know sell one a month and you're like and stay in the apartment right you know like a an airbnb type situation where for this so much like on on the weekend you get a park pass you get to it, stay there you get discounts on the food and stuff like it, that it would be like one of those um staying at the uh the atlantis hotel yes that one particular suite or whatever mm-hmm. that charges some forty five thousand dollars and you get like whatever. park passes and tours yeah. of the bahamas and all that stuff she could do that easily and people would drop the money absolutely Continuing on and talking about the the namesake home, the the cabin replica, 
Uh, the farm acreage and surrounding woodland inspired her to write the song My Tennessee Mountain Home uh, in the 1970s, and years after the farm was sold, Parton bought it back in the late 1980s, and her brother Bobby helped with building restoration and new construction. Parton has always, of course, described her family as being dirt poor. Parton's father paid missionary Dr. Robert F. Thomas with a sack of cornmeal for delivering her. And if the name Dr. Robert F. Thomas rings a bell, there is a huge medical foundation here in the area, the Dr. Robert F. Thomas Memorial Foundation, and that is also the basis for the Paint the Mountains Pink, which is the local breast cancer Mm -hmm. awareness foundation, all goes through the Dr. Robert F. Thomas Foundation. Wow. So, Parton would, of course, go on to write a song about Dr. Thomas when she was grown. She also outlined her family's poverty in her early songs, Coat of Many Colors, and In the Good Old Days, When Times Were Bad. And if you have not seen the uh, film depiction of the Coat Mm -hmm. of Many Colors story, you need to watch it. It is a, a very good story. Now, for six or seven years... Parton and her family lived in their rustic one-bedroom cabin on their small substance farm on Locust Ridge. This was a predominantly Pentecostal area located north of the Greenbrier Valley of the Great Smoky Mountains. Music played an important role in her early life. She was brought up in the Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee, in a congregation her grandfather, Jake Robert Owens, pastored. Her earliest public performances were, of course, in the church, as a lot of prominent southern musical figures gained their beginnings was in the church Mm -hmm. johnny Um, june loretta all of them every single one of them uh beginning at the age of six and at seven she started playing a homemade guitar when she was eight her uncle bought her her first real guitar homemade guitar learning at six homemade guitar at seven store-bought guitar at eight like i said it started very early She began performing as a child, singing on local radio and television programs in the East Tennessee area, and by 10, she was appearing on the Kaz Walker Show, which her uncle originally introduced her to, on both WIVK Radio and WBIR in Tennessee, Knoxville. At the age of 10, she was already performing, so in 1956, and here we are getting into 2023. Jeez. So, a very, very long and illustrious career that is still going just as prominent today as it was over 50 years ago. And she, even though, like, she's remained in her roots in this illustrious career, there are moments, kind of like this most recent album, and anytime she's done things with her goddaughter, Molly, evolution moments where she's evolved her. Her own personal her talent. sound. Yeah, and, talent. and her own personal sound. And she did something at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And she's like, I'll, she has her roots still. And she still does this amazing country thing that she's done. But she's not afraid to do something different. Well, if rock isn't a, a combination of oh, blues, yeah. gospel, country. I mean, it's, it's all fueled coming in from those original mm-hmm. ballads. And then... You know, getting into gospel, then getting into country. I mean, it just, one leads right into the other one. And it all comes from the Gregorian chant. 
back in the day. Back in the Thanks day. Thanks to the monks. <laughs> At the age of 13, she was recording the single Puppy Love on a small Louisiana label called Gold Band Records and appeared at the Grand Ole Opry where she first met Johnny Cash, mm. who encouraged her to follow her own instincts regarding her career. So at that point in time, she was getting some advice from someone who in their own right is country music royalty. Yes. Uh, more of a duke as opposed to a yeah. queen. Yeah, more of a duke. Say. Uh, and, and in his uh, knowledge at that time, definitely told her to... Went down a different instincts. path, though, than Dolly Parton yeah, did. <laughs> as opposed to listening to what the managers and stuff like that yeah. had to say. Now, here's something that I share in common with Miss Parton in the fact that I graduated from the same high school that she did. Uh, and she did graduate from Sevier County High School in 1964, quite a few years before I did. Uh, what would be uh, 1964 to 99... 35 years? My dad So was she would be celebrating her 35-year high My dad was only four years old when she graduated. Wow. And he's crazy. 63 now. That's insane. But Parton moved to Nashville the next day. So after graduating in 1964, she decided to leave Sevier County and head to Nashville. Her initial success came as a songwriter, having signed with Combine Publishing shortly after her arrival. With her frequent songwriting partner, her uncle Bill Owens, she wrote several charting singles during this time, including two top ten hits for Bill Phillips, Put It Off Until Tomorrow, and The Company You Keep in 1966, and Skeeter Davis's number 11 hit, Fuel to the Flame. Her songs were recorded by many other artists during this period, including Kitty Wells and Hank Williams Jr., she signed with Monument Records in 1965, and at the age of 19, she initially was pitched as a bubblegum pop singer. She released a string of singles, but the only one that charted, Happy Happy Birthday Baby, did not crack the Billboard Hot 100. Although she expressed a desire to record country material, Monument resisted, thinking her unique high soprano voice was not suited to the genre. How much of that do you think still happens today where producers and labels are like, no, 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 that's not your sound. Listen to us. No, 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 that's not your sound. There's a TV show for it. It's called The Voice. Yes. No, 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 that's not your sound. Just listen. Yeah, we want you to be a pop singer. We're, we've, we've, we've gone through this stuff. We, yeah. we, 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 we know, know what's going on. We know. We know. We know. Yeah. You should be in a boy band together. But Yeah, but, but I'm a soloist. No, 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 no. You'll join these guys and it'll be great. This this is where the the advice of Johnny Cash would come into play. Mm -hmm. After her composition, put it off until tomorrow, as recorded by Bill Phillips with Parton uncredited on harmony, went on to number six on the country chart in 1966. The label relented and allowed her to record country. Her first country single, Dumb Blonde, composed by Curly Putman, <laughs> one of the few songs during this era that she recorded but did not write, reached number 24 on the country chart in 1967, followed by Something Fishy, which went to number 17. The two songs appeared on her first full-length album, Hello, I'm Dolly. And she looked at them and said, Told you so. Basically... And at that point, honestly, even to this day, 
I have never heard, at least to my knowledge, the song Dumb Blonde or Something Fishy. Me neither. Couldn't even begin to tell you. I'm sure that there's plenty of people who could, who mm-hmm. are like diehard Dolly fans, but I had no clue that those were some of her first recorded country songs. Because she's, of course, known for things like I Nine will to Five, love I Will you. Always Love You, Islands in the Stream, mm. those types of songs. Well, early in her country music career, 1967 to be exact, musician and country music entertainer Porter Wagner invited Parton to join his organization, offering her a regular spot on his weekly syndicated television program, The Porter Wagner Show, and in his road show as well. As documented in her 1994 autobiography initially, much of Wagner's audience was unhappy that Norma Jean, the performer who Parton had replaced, had left the show and was reluctant to accept Parton, sometimes chanting, chanting loudly for Norma Jean from the audience. How dare you. Right? That would never be done today. I mean, could you imagine How that you. The, the curtain opens up and you've got Porter Wagner standing there going to sing, you've got Dolly back in the background, and and not knowing what she was going to be, and you've got all these people going, Norma Jean, Norma Jean, Norma Jean. That's... The audacity. The audacity. Where did you afford such audacity, people? With Wagner's assistance, however, Parton was eventually accepted. Wagner convinced his label, RCA Victor, to sign her. RCA decided to protect their investment by releasing her first single as a duet with Wagner. So basically, he was the insurance policy on that one for her. That song, a remake of Tom Paxton's The Last Thing on My Mind, released in late 1967, reached the country top 10 in January 1968, launching a six-year streak of virtually uninterrupted top 10 singles for the pair. They were the original... Kenny and Dolly, but it was Porter and Dolly. Porter and Dolly. So it was the, the wow. Dolly factor. You put Dolly with anybody, and it's going They're gonna to skyrocket. skyrocket. Yeah. <clears throat> Parton's first solo single for RCA Victor, Just Because I'm a Woman, was released in the summer of 1968 and was a moderate chart hit, reaching number 17. For the next two years, none of her solo efforts, even in the good old days when times were bad, which later became a standard, were as successful as her duets with Wagner. The duo was named Vocal Group of the Year in 1968 by the Country Music Association, but Parton's solo records were continually ignored. Wagner had a significant financial stake in her future as of 1969. He was her co-producer and owned nearly half of Opar the publishing company Parton had founded with her uncle Bill Owens. By 1970, both Parton and Wagner had grown frustrated uh, by her lack of uh, solo talent on the charts. Wagner persuaded Parton to record Jimmy Rogers' Mule Skinner Blues, a gimmick (laughs) that worked. The record shot to number three, followed closely in February 1971 by her first number one single, Joshua. So even then, she had to sing a gimmicky song to be able to get things going for her. 
it's like any of your modern pop stars had to sing that one catchy tune mm-hmm. or going back to the grunge had days to cover something where yeah someone had to cover something to to be able to get the initial recognition yes. to allow people to let these performers into their homes and then oh well if they did this let's see what this other stuff is about let's yeah. see what these other songs are about well, I mean, people didn't let Chris Stapleton into their home till he covered Tennessee Whiskey. Very true. And now... The- I mean, he wrote bluegrass for years for people like Big Mon and and nobody... And he tried to do his own stuff and nobody would give him a time of day. But the second he covered Tennessee Whiskey... And, and now the man does a cover of Phil Collins in the air tonight for Monday Night Football. Yes. And it is... It's amazing. Fantastic. Especially with the Snoop Dogg remix going yes. in there with it, it is it is just <laughs> awesome. Uh, two of my favorite songs include classic rock artist and Snoop Dogg, <laughs> and that's Jim Morrison "Riders on the Storm." Yeah, with the Snoop Dogg remix, yeah. it's only available on the Need for Speed Under Te- Underground Two yeah. soundtrack, and now Chris Stapleton doing Phil Collins. Oh, in one the of air my favorite Snoop Dogg epic crossover songs is um coolio and uh with cashmere and uh def leopard they did it for the godzilla soundtrack okay it was like come with me and cashmere together i'll have to go for in the godzilla 2000 the one with uh uh matthew broderick in it okay okay and it's only on that album iTunes doesn't carry it. Spotify doesn't carry it. You can find it on YouTube to, like, clips from the movie. Right. But it's only on that Godzilla album. God, take me back to the days of LimeWire. Oh, LimeWire, baby. We were pirates before it was cool. Hey. That was a... Jimmy Buffett, yes, I am a pirate. 200 years too late. That was our generation's pirating. Now you've got like email scams and hacking and and stuff yep. like that that happens. All right, back to the Queen. For the next two years, she had numerous solo hits, including her signature song "Coat of Many Colors," mm. went to number four in 1971. In addition to her duets, top 20 singles included "The Right Combination" and "Burning the Midnight Oil," both duets with Porter Wagner in 1971. "Lost Forever in Your Kiss." Again with Wagner, Touch Your Woman in 1972, and My Tennessee Mountain Home and Traveling Man in 1973. Although her solo singles and the Wagner duets were successful, her biggest hit of this period was Jolene. Mm. Fun. There's a title that I really know. <laughs> there's there's one of the first ones that everybody really recognizes, um, apart from Coat of Many Colors, and really associates with Dolly. Like, if you ask any Dolly Parton fan, what's your favorite Dolly Parton song, Jolene pops in yes. there quite often. Yeah. And a fun anecdote, and she actually was talking about this in several different interviews, that her inspiration for the song Jolene came from the fact that there was a lady at the bank where her and her husband routinely did business that was hitting on her husband so that's where Jolene came from now the description of Jolene is completely different 
it come from a completely different person. Uh. However, the actual inspiration for the song was that hussy was teller at the bank. Hussy teller <laughs> at the bank. Released in late 1973, the song topped the country chart in February 1974 and reached the lower regions of the Hot 100. It eventually also charted in the UK, reaching number 7 in 1976, representing Parton's first UK success. Wow. Parton, who had always envisioned a solo career, made the decision to leave Wagner's organization. The pair performed their last duet concert in April 1974, and she stopped appearing on his TV show, in mid-1974. Here is where the story of another one of her songs comes from. I Will Always Love You was written about her leaving the Porter Wagner show and this was the best way she could find to say goodbye to say goodbye and tell Ugh. him that that's how she was going to be leaving, performing with him and leaving the show. And Could you imagine being the next girl and people start going, Dolly, <laughs> just like they did to her? <laughs> right. Now, according to Parton herself in multiple interviews, Wagner teared up and said, okay, you can leave as long as I can produce that song. One more deal. <laughs> one one last one. Deal. One more last one, please, because that was just beautiful. <laughs> He continued, even though they remain uh, affiliated in one way or another, uh, he did help her produce uh, her records through 1975, and the pair continued to release duet albums, their final release being 1975's Say Forever You'll Be Mine. And, of course, as we just said, in 1974, her song, I Will Always Love You, written about her professional break from Wagner, went to number one on the country chart around the same time Elvis Presley indicated that he wanted to record the song. Parton was interested until Presley's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, told her that it was standard procedure for the songwriter to sign over half of the publishing rights to any song recorded by Presley. This is where her business savvy from her dad came into play. And also some... Uh, advice from Johnny Cash to follow her instinct, she refused. That decision has been credited with helping to make her many millions of dollars in royalties from the song over the years. Because flash forward to the 90s when Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston did The Bodyguard. Yep. Great cult classic movie. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it. Whitney covers I Will Always Love You. Mm -hmm. And it, it was like rebirth, like it was reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. And that it's, was actually... It's what TikTok did to... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually... I mean, I was a kid when Bodyguard came out and watched the movie, and that was my f- first memory of a cover song. Because I, okay. I was yeah. like, that's not Whitney's song. It was song. original, yeah. I was like, that's not her song. And they're like, no, she's covering it. She's What? Covering right. it in she what? A blanket on <laughs> she it? What's she doing? A blanket? I don't. Is it cold? I mean, but yeah, that was my first memory of a cover song, and now I love them. Now I love seeing different and listening to different takes on songs. Absolutely, and talking about Chris Stapleton covering mm-hmm. uh, Phil Collins, 
Um, you've got, well, and, and him, he of course, covering Tennessee, Tennessee whiskey. whiskey. Yeah. And that's something that you see quite often in, in a revival. I mean, uh, Old Crow Medicine Show with Wagon Wheel and then Darius Rucker yep. covering Wagon it. I mean, it, it's something I to where... I can't tell you how many covers of In the Air Tonight I've heard. Right. <laughs> or or Wonderwall. Uh, that's another one. <laughs> that's another, some, some covers I am fine with. There are some that should just not be. It's almost like the you walk in on... Um, Wayne's World, they got the sign up on the wall. No, no stairway. stairway. There's no wonder wall. <laughs> no wonder wall cover. <laughs> Continuing on, Parton had released uh, three solo singles, reached number one on the country charts in 1974 with Jolene, I Will Always Love You, and Love Is Like a Butterfly, as well as a duet with Porter Wagner, Please Don't Stop Loving Me. In a 2019 episode of the Sky Arts music series, Brian Johnson, A Life on the Road, Parton described finding old cassette tapes and realizing that she had composed both Jolene and I Will Always Love You in the same songwriting session, telling Johnson, Buddy, that was a good night. Parton again topped the singles chart in 1975 with The Bargain Store. Guys, we are getting a little bit on into this show. We are going to take a quick break real quick to hear from one of the friends of the mini shows here at Studio 66. And we're going to be coming back to you, continuing on the early parts of the life of Miss Dolly Parton as we continue into her musical career and the beginnings of her film career. And then, as Opie mentioned in the intro for this episode, we're going to be continuing talking about the queen, the patron saint of Sevier County, Miss Dolly Parton, and getting more into the philan- philanthropic. Yes. I was trying to <laughs> figure out and trying to remember exactly how to say that word in that particular tense and context. The philanthropic side of Miss Dolly Parton continuing, like I said, on Thursday's episode. But like I said, we're going to step away for just a moment, and we'll be right back. Looking to satisfy your sweet tooth while visiting the Smoky Mountains? Check out Adina's Sweet Shop, a treasure cottage of baked goods nestled in the heart of the Smokies in Gatlinburg. They create the most delectable homemade cupcakes, chocolates, pastries, pies, and so much more including over 20 flavors of the best ice cream you've ever had, and don't forget to check out their selection of boozy favorites as well. Locals and visitors alike have raved about Adina's desserts, and once you've tried them, so will you. At Adina's Sweet Shop, there is truly something for everyone. Just minutes from Dollywood or the mountains, you can find them at 170 Glades Road in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, or online at adinasweetshop.com. And tell her you heard about them from Tennessee Legend Distillery. Welcome back, Legends, to our part one of our discussion of the legend of Dolly Parton, the queen of the South. And we are talking about her early life and Southern successes. I've heard stories from different artists saying that they got into either an altered state of mind or they got really deep into their emotions or uh, a tragic event. Mm. There was some sort of, of significant happening or, or something done 
that got the artist to a point to where they just sat down and focused and were able to come out with multiple absolute bangers out of the same writing sessions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear that, like, one of the more prominent figures today and probably the person who is going to be, quote-unquote, the next Dolly Parton is Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. In no ways has she reached the... No, the, not yet. But, uh, but she's younger the next than thing, I am. Yeah, the next so thing, the next thing to happen for her is, I think, going to be a full-fledged cinematic career. Yeah. Like Dolly did. Yeah. And she's then, been in a few things, but I, I do definitely see like she's a... She's not taking a lead role in, yeah. a, in a film I yet. I say a future where she's like, I'm going to take a little break yep. and pursue film. Yep. Just like Dolly, just like Whitney. Yeah. Just like all the stars for decades has done. I so mean, you say that about... She's already transcended what Dolly would have done pre her film career. Yes. At this point. She does a film career that's just going to be more... Yeah, and and I mean, and then she'll come if, back. If if yeah, she'll come back, and and if history has is doomed to repeat itself, we're gonna get an entire album dedicated to Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey. <laughs> Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Travis Kelsey in this in yes. this instance. Yes. Um, um, <laughs> however, uh, you said that you know certain stars. There's interviews and all that with uh, you know they just got inside themselves and they did. So what's behind Garth Brooks' creation of Chris Gaines? His, where are the bodies, G? That's what I want to say. Right. Um, so maybe it was a situation with him in that aspect that he was trying to break into a different into a different genre. He was wanting to produce a ballad or a rock yeah, or a alternative alternative sound as either an experimentation or that's where he truly felt like he wanted to yeah. go with stuff, but he just, he hadn't reached the, it did not go, you in. know, you may have thought that you were as big as Dolly Parton because you were, you were friends in low places blown up. Yeah. You know, because of your stage show, people had not seen that type oh, of stuff yeah. in country music. So you were the quote unquote rock star of country music. But you had not earned enough clout for you to be able to come out and be like, you know what, I'm gonna do a rock album. I'm Chris Gaines now, and people are going to accept it. It's it's just not how that yeah, works. He thought he was bigger than he actually was at the time, because um, you have to be a megastar to one day randomly say, I'm gonna reinvent myself, and people follow you. Yeah, Dolly. <laughs> Literally, she's like, you know what? I'm going to do a rock album. I'm going to cover album. all these rock songs, including mid seventies. Just I'm going to I'm going to do a rock album. Yeah. Okay. And yes, ma'am. What you just said in your in my seventies, yeah. I am going to release a rock album. a rock album. And the world said, yes, okay, Dolly. Okay. Yep. It's and it's going to be it's we're gonna here. Be a fantastic. <laughs> we're right beside <laughs> you. And it's going to be fantastic. It is going to have some absolute, absolute kicking songs. Yes, on it. it is. And this, starting in 1976, is when some of the, I guess, considered a pop transition mm-hmm. would have happened. Uh, between 1974 and 1980, Parton had a series of country hits with eight singles reaching number one. Her influence on pop culture 
is of course reflected by the many performers covering her songs, including mainstream and crossover artists such as Olivia Newton-John, Emmylou Harris, and Linda Ronstadt. Parton began to embark on high-profile crossover campaign, attempting to aim her music in a more mainstream direction and increase her visibility outside of the confines of her country music. There's Daddy's Business Savvy coming back into play, Mm -hmm. and through the maternal music talent, she had the chops and the ability to do so. In 1976, she began working closely with Sandy Gallen, who served as her personal manager for the next 25 years. With her 1976 album, All I Can Do, which she co-produced with Porter Wagner, Parton began taking more of an active role in production and began specifically aiming her music in a more mainstream pop direction. So while she was still recording country-inspired lyrics and country-inspired feels. She Mm -hmm. was trying to direct the music and the composition into more of a mainstream pop recognition. Her first entirely self-produced effort, New Harvest First Gathering in 1977, highlighted her pop sensibilities, both in terms of choice of songs. The album contained covers of the pop and R&B classics My Girl and Higher and Higher. Though the album was well-received in the top the U.S. Country Albums chart, neither it nor its single Light of a Clear Blue Morning made much of an impression on the pop charts. Go back and listen to Dolly Parton singing My Girl. In a sense, I mean, there was a very similar path that her and Elvis took in the fact that they were Mm -hmm. singing anything and everything that anybody put in front of them, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. While there were definitely more original pen songs on Dolly's side than there were Elvis, they were not above putting their spin on other people's works. Yeah. After New Harvest's disappointing crossover performance, Parton turned to high-profile pop producer Gary Klein for her next album. The result, 1977's Here You Come Again, became her first million seller, topping the country album chart and reaching number 20 on the pop chart. The Barry Man Cynthia Well penned title track topped the country's singles charts and became Parton's first top ten single on the pop chart, a second single, the double A-sided Two Doors Down and It's All Wrong But It's All Right, topped the country chart and crossed over to the pop chart top 20. For the remainder of the 1970s into the early 1980s, many of her subsequent singles moved up on both charts simultaneously while her albums during this period were developed specifically for pop pop crossover success. So basically she was putting herself out into multiple markets so that way she could be recognized in multiple markets. And certain markets recognized the the talents and recognized it and had it further up in the charts. And maybe because she had already released just specific country albums, more people knew her through the country yeah. side of things. But to get herself more mainstream, she was going into the pop crossover, releasing some singles on some albums that were more country albums but had that pop feel to it. She was being picked up and recognized by this other genre, much like old Tay-Tay, Started off as country and then progressed into pop, and now she is a Ooh, megastar in both. That we kind of 
what I would call uh, uh, genre gatekeepers um, crucify people for trying to because like nowadays we get angry at like don't put pop in my country right and Dolly did it she was one of the pioneers of it to to unlike but we would never get more speak ill of the queen recognition right but she started she did that it's it's one of those well the action is itself not so bad it's who's doing the action it's who's doing it it's that that's almost like right now in the sports world the whole sign stealing scandal with Michigan it's yeah, like it just depends on who's doing a it. lot of the teams are doing it but yeah a lot of people don't like Michigan yeah. so it's like yeah. they tried to bury Alabama they've tried to do stuff to bury other teams it's like eh Michigan's an easier target yeah so but yeah uh, you're right it's it's gotten wow. to a situation and and that's an awesome point out in the fact that it really is has been a situation, but all it is is it's a business decision. Yeah, to become more mainstream and reach more ears. It's nothing personal, boys. It's just business. Yeah, exactly. And the queen kind of paved the way for it. And today, like, and I'm just as guilty. Like, I would get, I was, I was a gatekeeper for a long time for country music when I was younger, and I'd be like, why are they putting pop in my country? Right. But then eventually, I started to realize, like. Because they're playing on two stations now, yeah. instead of just one hundred seven point seven, I'm hearing them on one hundred two one too. Yeah, and boom, and it's and it's listeners. just to gain more yeah. exposure. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can do a crossover album, or if you can do just some crossover hits that can be played on multiple stations, you're just getting more exposure. More exposure leads to more purchases. One of the more times purchases leads to more money. One of the times in high school that you saw two genres of music fans get along was when Linkin Park and Jay Z did that album together. Yes, that was Encore. a fantastic album. And you saw hip hop fans and punk fans like, we can get along. We yeah. got a whole album together. <laughs> Maybe Small Revelation, Hook, yeah. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, uh, I've just had an apostrophe. <laughs> Thank you, mean epiphany. <laughs> Lightning has struck my brain. That must have hurt. Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Bill and Ted face the music? I have not yet. Okay, so the whole story and premise of the Bill and Ted story, just in general, is that the mm-hmm. artist Bill and Ted Wild Stallions, mm-hmm. this is encompassing all the movies, mm-hmm. is that the, the artist Bill and Ted write a song that unites all of creation across all time and space. Yes. Why do we gatekeep music whenever? I mean, not saying that that's a, a true inspiration. But yeah, yeah. If if Jay Z and Lincoln Park can do an album to where that that united reaches the hand across the two aisle, very different two very genres. different genres. Why can't there be something that is universally written at some point to in time to, to uni- unites all of us against? government against you know <laughs> the the main gatekeepers the against the illuminati against whatever you know where is that i don't know it's not out yet where is that maybe that's something maybe that'll be one of her dying maybe it'll be dolly releases, that does it dolly that does you not the unites us all in 1978, Parton won a Grammy for best female country vocal performance for her Here You Come Again 
she continued to have hits with Heartbreaker in 1978, Baby I'm Burning in 1979, and You're the Only One in 1979 as well, all of which charted in the pop top 40 and topped the country tart. Sweet Summer Lovin' in 1979 became the first parting single in two years to not top the country chart, though it did reach the top 10. During this period, her visibility continued to increase with multiple television appearances, a highly publicized candid interview on a Barbara Walter special in 1977, time to coincide with Here You Come Again's release, was followed by appearances on the 1978 on Cher's ABC television special and her own joint special with Carol Burnett on CBS, Dolly and Carol in Nashville. That is a fantastic, if you can go back and watch that, I highly recommend it. It is a fantastic evening that I wish I was present for. That would be, I mean, just the the natural comedic chops well, that Dolly, Dolly has. has it too. Yeah. She's got the gift of gab, like, you know, like... Uh, and to be paired with Carol Burnett, uh, to be paired with... with uh, I, why does the name character name elude me? From Mama's Family? Well, not necessarily... Well, yeah, Mama's Family, but in Annie... Uh, oh, Miss Hannigan. Miss Hannigan, yeah. yeah. I mean, just Mrs. Hannigan and Dolly Parton there together Brilliant. is just awesome. Um, because Carol Burnett has a voice on her own. I mean, she's a, yeah. a very well-respected Broadway singer. theatrical singer. Yeah. And just to have those two together, it's like um, they would have done well to have a female, all-female version of Saturday Night Live, including At these that two. Time, uh, bring in um, Betty June. White. Bring in June. Yeah. June Cash. Uh, also include, like I said, Betty White. Yes. Uh, uh, Rue McClanahan. Oh, gosh. You know, go ahead and bring in the Golden Girls I'm into the mix. You. That would have been a fantastic show to, to watch at that point in time. You know, and we say, like, if you could live in any time, if you could go back any time, if you had a time machine, kind of like we joke about like a, having a podcast, I'd just go to Moments. Yeah. Like, I'd go back and sit and watch that show. I wouldn't want to live in the mid to late 70s, but I'd go oh, back. I would love to be a teenager during the 70s. <laughs> like, if I could be at any point in time, like, if I could be getting my driver's license in the 70s. at some point in time, I want it to be, like, 74 to 76. <laughs> Why? Just the time the frame, man. Between the music, the the vehicles the of the time, the the like, I would be a, a, a fish out of water in terms of like my physical stature compared to what they normal would have been, been at that, that point in time of day. Yeah, a hill, a hill person. Yeah, I, I wouldn't fit in in that aspect. Um, but yeah. Like, I'd, I'd I go just, to this moment and just frame. watch. I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. That's, yeah, um, instead of, that's the episode of Family Guy where instead of people taking vacations to different destinations, physical destinations, mm. you take vacations to different points in time. Wow. So you could vacation back to the building of the Great Pyramids. You could yeah. vacation back to, you know. The beach, uh, uh, like Coney Island in the 60s. Yeah. 
heydays of stuff. Heydays of stuff. Just don't ride the roller coaster because there was a high percentile you could get seriously injured or and or super se- injured yes. being dead. And continuing after talking about her appearance with Carol Burnett on the CBS show Dolly and Carol in Nashville, Parton served as one of three co-hosts along with Roy Clark and Glenn Campbell Ooh. on the CBS special 50 Years of Country Music. In 1979, Parton also hosted the NBC special The 70s, an explosion of country music performed live at the Ford Theater in Washington, D.C., and whose audience included, at that time, President Jimmy Carter. Her commercial success grew in 1980 with three consecutive country chart number one hits, the Donna Summer written Starting Over Again, Old Flames Can't Hold a Candle to You, and of course, one of her most popular and well-known songs, Nine to Five, which topped the country and pop charts in early 1981, the year I was born. She had another (laughs) top ten single that year with Making Plans, a single released from a 1980 album with Porter Wagner, released as part of a lawsuit settlement between the pair. So even though they had had a, a fairly okay parting of ways there mm-hmm. was still some tensions and stuff like that 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 came to to be out of that two things mm-hmm. the year i was born was the year that nine to five came out and did not actually get turned into a film and a musical musical, musical. and a television series mm-hmm at one point in time later on but mm-hmm. yeah the year i was born was the year that 9 to 5 came out and on the album there is a musical credit to Dolly Parton other than vocals for what her acrylic nails <laughs> because she's doing the shuffle the with her acrylic fingernails and that's actually cut on the album and she has a musical credit on that album of Nails dash Dolly Parton, <laughs> apart from the vocals. Uh, I'll see if I can get my... Yeah. I don't have acrylic nails. If I had acrylic nails, shoot me. <laughs> but, no, I was trying to get my nails to see if I could get them to clack together to make a sound of any capacity, but it's not working. But, yeah, she was clacking her in that... Stumble out of bed and tumble into the kitchen. Or tumble out of bed, stumble into the kitchen. So yeah. I have a fun connection to this song. Okay. Myself and one Josh Davis have a very strong connection to this song. Because it was produced by Mr. Dr. Perry. Okay. He, multiple times, has worked with Encore Theatrical Company, who we have done theater with in Morristown, Tennessee. We have even co- like been in shows with him. He has been the musical director of some shows we've been in. And just talk to him, because now in, in the... He's retired now, but uh, he was a therapist in Morristown for years. Many years after he left the music industry. Wow. Yeah, Dr. Perry is a one of the sweetest human beings you will ever meet. Um, he produced this song. And when we found that out, we were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we know him, we know him, we know him. 
Have, do you know Dr. Perry? Because we do. He produced 9 to 5. <laughs> we were in Rock of Ages, the musical with him. And he played. He was part of the the band. He was the piano player for the band, the keyboard player. Yeah, and I was just like, oh my god, the guy who produced Nine to Five is in our orchestra for Rock of Ages in Morristown, Tennessee. And he's just such a sweet human being. That's that's slightly adjacent to your. I've had I've had dinner with Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one probably means more to Dolly fans than the Harrison Ford one. <laughs> <laughs> right. But now you can actually add that to your legend status. Yes. Yes. I've done a show with Dr. Greg Perry. Awesome. Yeah. He's a cool guy. He really is. That very same song, 9 to 5, the theme song, of course, to the 1980 feature film, I say later, it was actually earlier, in which she starred along with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin as well as the hilarious Dabney Coleman, mm. only reached number one on the country chart. In February 1981, it reached number one on the pop and adult contemporary charts, giving her a triple number one hit. Wow. Parton became the one of the few female country singers to have a number one single on the country and pop chart simultaneously. It also received a nomination for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, her singles continued to appear consistently in the country top 10 between 1981 and 1985. She had 12 top 10 hits. Half of them hit number one. She also continued to make inroads on pop charts as well. A re-recorded version of I Will Always Love You from the feature film The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas <laughs> in 1982 <laughs> scraped the top 50 that year. And her duet with Kenny Rogers, Islands in the Stream, written by the Bee Gees and produced by Barry Gibb, spent two weeks at number one in 1983. I had actually forgotten that the first usage of I Will Always Love You, as far as for cinematic, was in her movie with Burt Reynolds, which also <laughs> featured a song called Sneaking Around With You. Texas has a whorehouse in it. <laughs> Oh, that one was also another... Uh, there were so many good songs in that because it's a musical. Yes. It is a musical. You it just happens to you be... You couldn't produce it today. Yeah, it just happens to be set in a yeah. Texas brothel. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. is like Those are one of the, the movies that I would love to see turn into a musical, a stage musical, um, but you couldn't do it. Kind of like, like today. You I don't could do see it why more, you couldn't. You could do it more as a farce than the other show I want to produced into a play or a musical is Blazing Saddles. <laughs> but you definitely oh, probably couldn't of, do that Because today. of the terminology yes, in that one. Yes, the terminology would... You could, you could get away because I think the world, after having seen Moulin Rouge and stuff like that, would mm -hmm. be able to see a version of Best Little Whorehouse on Performed Again. Yeah, I think you actually could since Moulin Rouge exists. Yeah. I don't. I don't see where people would would be against that. Yeah. Maybe Dolly would take over as the 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 cook, the the well to do whatever. Yeah. Um, and someone else would take over her spot as Miss Mona. Yeah. In that, or who knows? Maybe she could still be Miss Mona, and you'd have a and uh, uh, someone else who who could equal her, take I, over the I, Burt Reynolds character. I think it would be a fun Broadway musical. I'm not big on turning a lot of film into musicals. Like, 
I hate the fact that Mean Girls is a musical. Right. Like, it was fine as a movie. Like, you didn't have to or bring it to Broadway. Or who's to say they just couldn't redo the movie? Yeah. They could. I mean, why not? The Texas A&M Aggies need a little bit of a boost, and they were prominently featured in that movie. Yes, they were. Especially after firing Jimbo. Hell, maybe they <laughs> could get some residual. That's what they need to do. I'll bring this up on the cocky top. <laughs> Next cocky top. Since Texas A&M has fired Jimbo Fisher. They're going to need money. They they need some more money to be able to help recoup some of that $70 million <laughs> loss. So let's let's, let's redo just reboot Best Little Horror Best House, Little Horror House, and you'll have an entire. You can have the Midnight Yell leaders <laughs> as take place as some of the the team players that wind <laughs> up getting to win and go to the to the chicken ranch. <laughs> you heard it here first on Between Two Barrels. Between Two Barrels has the the first idea. Okay, and then let's talk about this. Islands in the Stream was written by the Bee Gees and produced by Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees. Yeah. That's something that I really, I, I did not know at that time. That. So, in 1983. But, and probably one of, probably became more of a prominent duet song of hers than her previous duet songs. Oh, for sure. Because, I mean, that whole thing spawned the whole Kenny and Dolly. Mm-hmm. Uh, speculations of those two actually having an affair and everything else that you know was probably also said about her and Porter Wagner but I mean she's been married for several years to the same guy to the same guy I just I, I just can't get past the the ah, 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 Holland's in the street <laughs> that is what we are I'm Mary Gibb Oh, goodness. And, of course, Islands in the Stream gave us one of the most nonsensical lyrics mm. in the... We rely on each other. Ah, that's that's true Barry Gibb right there. That's yes. Barry Gibb's full-on influence. Yes. And the Bee Gees' influence into that song. Yes, it is. <laughs> you could throw in a little... Ah, and also an influence. Kind of pay homage to me. There you go. There you go. 100%. And that's probably what they were doing. They're sitting there. They're trying to get this album cut. And they're going through. They're sitting in the studio. Kenny and Dolly. Islands in the stream. You know, they get to that point. We rely on each other. We need something something has to be here. And then Barry. All of a sudden you hear click. You can throw in a ha ha. I think it'd be really good. So the next time they do it. I'm Barry Gibb. The next time they do it. We rely on each other. Uh-huh. And gets back there is just like That's it. That's what we were missing. That's exactly what we were missing. Oh goodness. Continuing on, in the mid nineteen eighties, her record sales were still relatively strong with Save the Last Dance for Me, Tennessee Homesick Blues, God Won't Get You, Real Love, which was another duet with Kenny Rogers, Don't Call It Love. And Think About Love, all reaching the country top ten. There's a little bit of a theme going on there. Mm-hmm. Think About Love, or sorry, Tennessee Homesick Blues and Think About Love reached number one, while Real Love also reached number one on the country chart and became a modest crossover hit. However, RCA Records did not renew her contract after it expired in 1986, and then she then signed with Columbia Records in 1987 
And honestly, I think that is going to be a good stopping point because from there we start going into the country, full-on country and bluegrass period. Uh, whenever she was doing some crossover works with Emmylou Harris, mm-hmm. Linda Ronstadt, and of course continuing continuing on into her predominantly mainstream country run and pop country run uh, spanning from 1987 all the way through 2005. We will also be getting into the birth of Dollywood. The birth of Dollywood at that point in time, going from Silver Dollar City and purchasing uh, her purchasing it and transforming it into Dollywood, um, as well as getting into her uh, philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we just barely touched on in the intro for this episode, um, not only has she had a local impact, but also a global impact in terms of her her generosities Mm -hmm. um i can remember all the way back in like i said i graduated in 1999 Mm -hmm. we are currently coming up on what would be my 30-year high school reunion very rapidly and it's a situation where i remember being in high school in the uh late 90s and it being a situation to where even at that time there was a program for Sevier County High School students that as long as you and someone you chose to be your partner in this, mm-hmm. as long as you maintained an X GPA, mm-hmm. you were given money by the Dolly Parton Scholarship Foundation, X amount of dollars to go towards whatever you needed it for, for um, um, college. It's um, still... And she still does it today. Still does it to this day. Um, another project that was just here locally that has expanded globally is Dolly Parton's Re- Imagination mm-hmm. Library. To where any child from the time they're born until they're five years old gets a book every month. So they're going to wind up with 60 books in their own personal little library that is all sponsored by and paid for by dolly parton yeah um we'll get into more of it uh on that next episode mm-hmm. but i mean it even goes as far as to whenever the wildfires happen you know yes. uh, which has now been seven eight years ago at this point that's crazy to think it's been that long yeah i think like it was yesterday. 2016 is yeah. whenever that happened yeah um the amount of money that she paid for as far as uh, helping people get relocated, helping people continue to to thrive in this area that were displaced by those wildfires. Um, Just so many things that she has done and continues to do. So yeah, uh, (laughs) I think we we need to end it right now on on some good notes and, Mm -hmm. and pick back up on Thursday. Absolutely. This has been part one of our dive into the legend of Dolly Parton. Uh, Stay tuned for part two this Thursday where we dive into the 90s all the way to today with her rest of her entertainment impact as well as her philanthropy and other stories of the Queen of the South. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Studio 66 and you can go to tldstudio66.com to find all the information you need about Studio 66 and its podcasts as well as our amazing benefactor and sponsor, Tennessee Legend Distillery. B, this has been great. It has been a fun episode. And like I said earlier, we mentioned earlier, um, there are going to be some deadlines coming up, especially if you're looking to get anything Mm -hmm. shipped out and mailed. So 
if any of you listeners or if you're looking to to grab a t-shirt a hoodie a hat a coffee mug whatever else with the between two barrels cocky top 30 and nerdy any of that type of stuff make sure you go ahead and get those ordered or if you're over on the tennessee uh, merch site tennessee legend uh, merch site make sure that you get those orders in because the sooner you get them in the more guaranteed you are to have those in before the christmas holidays so make sure you get over and check all those out absolutely thank you for tuning in to this one stay tuned for part two on thursday be safe out there legends be kind to yourself be kind to others and as always cheers to you thanks for listening to another episode of between two barrels we hope you enjoyed this episode for more information about what's happening with any of the studio 66 shows make sure to like follow subscribe click the thumbs up whatever you have to do to make sure you get your fill of this legendary content to do so Search Studio 66 on Facebook or Instagram or the Studio 66 playlist on YouTube from Tennessee Legend Distillery. You can also subscribe to our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash tldstudio66 for additional content for all of the Studio 66 shows as well as gifts from the different Studio 66 podcasts and Tennessee Legend Distillery. And if that wasn't enough, you can also visit our website, tldstudio66.com where you can find links to all of the shows and podcasts as well as merchandise for all of the individual podcasts and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter heck you can even leave us a voicemail if you like via speakpipe or send us an email at tldtube23 at gmail.com however you go about it Make sure you don't miss out on getting even more legendary info about the studio as well as the distillery from Studio 66, presented by Tennessee Legend Distillery.